0: The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. big welcome to everybody. Please let me know if you can hear me. And a big welcome to people who are hearing this live. I think there's uh, one or two in Arizona, perhaps, and maybe one in Texas, one in Boston, and who knows where else. And uh, we've been studying in a more formal way, more specific way, these teachings, these maps that the Buddha articulated way back, 25, 2600 years ago now, since 1998. This is our fourth time through this very traditional set of teachings sometimes referred to as the wings of awakening. We do it a little, you know, <coughs> more expansively, but um, there are all these different lists, models, maps that the Buddha used in talking about his experience with his own mind, studying, paying attention to his own mind. And so over the course of five or six years, we work our way through these different articulations, these different ways the Buddha talked about his mind, because different maps highlight different aspects of what it is to have a mind. And the whole purpose, of course, in the different ways the Buddha talked about the heart or the mind, and most of you know we use those terms synonymously, heart and mind, where more in the West we think of them differently is the Pali word. The whole point of studying the mind is this very straightforward point that should be pretty um, obvious, I guess, to all of us, which is we care about suffering. We care about the experience of stress and suffering, and we're interested in release. And not only that, if we're not completely overwhelmed, if we cultivate some sensitivity, we realize that we naturally care about other people's suffering and the alleviation of their suffering. So this, this is a natural thing. This, you could call it, the arising of compassion. You don't need to be a special human being. You just need not to be overwhelmed. And then you realize, like, oh, I'm sensitive. And I care about that. I'm vulnerable or exposed to joy and sorrow. And I care about that. And look at here. It seems like everybody's exposed to joy and sorrow. It's probably not all that different, you know, the vulnerability, the experience of exposure. Not that our lives are the same, right, because they can be radically different. But the predicament of being exposed to joy and sorrow the vulnerability and the uncertainty and the wholesome desire to want to understand what to do with the human life that we share as different as our lives might be so these next eight weeks we'll be looking at a very particular map one of the more Central and probably more subtle of the maps the Buddha used, this teaching on dependent co arising gets translated in different ways interdependent origination, co dependent arising, or dependent co arising. But it's really the Buddha's um, attempt, right? Because he had his own experience observing his mind, paying attention deepening his understanding of his own mind and heart, and then he had to articulate it using language so that whatever insight, whatever understanding he had, he could support other people having the same deepening of understanding of their own mind, right? So the articulation is never perfect, right? It's an abstraction, but it's better to have that map then to like how what's the likelihood that we would have come up with the same insight without some pointing out instructions by our wise you know folks before us from the buddha on down where really we benefit from having these instructions but they're not perfect so that's why the course is set up that we hear you know we try to read some of the actual discourses and of course we'll read study and some of you more than others right depending on how much time you have in your lives you know but I'll be sending out some materials but the idea is to take in the information from the talks and from the study that you do and then apply it use those pointing out instructions look at your own experience present moment experience of the body and the mind with the purpose of understanding or seeing what you haven't seen and understood before seeing more clearly buddha knowing dharma right waking up to the way it is and what we're waking up to first and foremost is our subjective experience as a human being because if you look at the problems around us the suffering in the world the racism the sexism the economic inequality the ways that power are you is used to oppress others take advantage not just of other human beings but other species on the planet the planet itself it all gets traced back to beings human beings mostly operating with a lot of ignorance so when the world looks the way that it does to me then it seems relatively easy for me to be complicit in all the ways that suffering you know moves all these different cycles of suffering all the ways that we're taking advantage and causing harm for ourselves and others whether it's self-harm through some addictive behaviors harming others through neglect or through more direct ways of being abusive and unjust and unfair, right? So we're interested in the big picture, but our study of our lives and the world has taught us to, be, to kind of own that the problem originates here in the heart. The Buddha once described it as realizing this thorn deep in the heart. And as long as that thorn remains unseen, human beings flop around like fish out of water. If you've ever seen that, it's heartbreaking. You know, when you see an animal struggling to be alive, to stay alive, It's heartbreaking. Something deep in our heart knows what that feels like. You know, when we see a fish flopping around at the bottom of the boat or whatever. You know, there are many examples. We know that life, you know, we know that life wants to continue. That beings want to be safe. Beings want to be comfortable. And this is our predicament. And what do we do with it? Mostly what we do with it is we are willing to step on each other's toes to get to the top of the heap where we think we're going to feel safe. But the trouble with being, even if you get to the top of the heap, the trouble with being at the top of the heap is you have to work hard at being all unaware of all the people you had to climb over to get to the top of the heap. And you have to somehow be in denial of all the people who are trying to get you off of the top of the heap, right? So as long as we think that safety comes from having something, then death is haunting us and other beings who have less, the, our, our idea of other beings who have less is haunting us, right? It's hard to be really completely at ease, completely open, completely free, as long as our heart, our mind is pursuing happiness through acquisition. Whatever Whatever we're trying to acquire. Safety by having a gated community around us or safety by having a really healthy body. right? Because old age is also haunting us and illness is haunting us. And the tenuousness of our relationships is haunting us. If you haven't noticed, it's not easy for people to stay in relationship, especially intimate relationships, right? Even the best of them are somewhat tenuous. They're not perfect. Anybody have a perfect relationship? No. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Cats don't count. (laughs) No, (laughs) not... Cats definitely wouldn't have one. Maybe puppies don't count. <laughs> <laughs> or goldfish. <laughs> so uh, part of what makes this work, even as the Buddhist studies class has grown, some of you have been doing, you know, this may be your third lap through the five or six year curriculum. Now it's about a six year curriculum. Um, But part of what makes it work, even though we're a pretty big group, is that this is different than other programs at Common Ground. We ask people to make a commitment to the group, mostly, to the study, to the practice, to the small groups that we do every other week for the last half an hour. So just keep that in mind. And we want people... uh, We you know, normally we don't have prerequisites, but we do for this class because we want people who are not just going to hear the teachings and appreciate the teachings, but are going to apply them. So people who have a sitting practice. Now all of that means is you understand the value of sitting still for, if not every day, you aspire to sit every day. You may not sit every day, but you want to sit every day. And you're probably sitting more than a few times a week, right? Preferably every day, but I don't wanna make that criteria hard and fast. But the idea is like, that's your laboratory. Now, it's easy to say, no, no, I practice all day long. That's really ideal, but it really helps to formalize. But I especially practice in those 30 minutes where my cell phone is off and the people I live with know to leave me alone and the dog is in the other room right and it's just me right it's just this body and mind it's just the sensitivity being sensitive to the body and mind because then we're really taking advantage of the laboratory of our life so that's part of the commitment to the group that every week many days of every week for the course you're going to be putting aside some time. I'm not telling you how much, but that you're putting aside some time to reflect on these teachings. And I'll be giving you some examples of how you can do that formal reflection with the guided meditations, which will be recorded so you can even use them at home. They'll get up, you know, three to five days after the Monday night class. So you can then listen to the, re-listen to the talk or listen to the guided meditations or if you have to miss because of business or family obligations or you get sick, totally okay. But if you can come, the commitment is you don't not come. You don't stay home because you don't want to come. right? So if you sign up for the class, if you decide you're going to do the class, then if you don't have a business obligation or s- have to do something with, one of your immediate family members that you just it just doesn't make sense to get out of, or you're not sick, then you come to the class. And uh, so the other uh, prerequisite is that people have done some retreat practice, including half day retreats, and it's just a made up criteria. So the idea is that you're really, y- y- you've already been around a enough to know that this general path of Buddhist awareness practices really makes sense in your life. You feel <coughs> drawn to it. So if you're here tonight and you haven't ever done a Buddhist meditation retreat, not necessarily in this lineage even, maybe you did it at a Zen center or at a Tibetan group a while back, then let me know and we'll find a way for you to start doing some retreats. <laughs> There's a half-day retreat coming up on the 1st. Saturday in February. There's a day long the last Saturday of January or the second to last Saturday. I forget when it is, but it's coming up at the end of the month. so You can get one or two in this course and that shows that, yeah, I'm connected to this practice. I'm committed. Just see me if you have any questions about those prerequisites. And then just because sometimes it can feel a little exposing and for some of you know, people who are more shy or whatever, reserved, that every other week's small group meeting can seem a little like too much, and you might want to sneak out. But that's part of the obligation is that we show up for these small groups. So week two, week four, week six, week eight. The last half an hour, I'll break you up into groups of three. It's a great way to start meeting other people in the community, and it's a great way to say something about what you're learning or what you're sensing is getting in the way of learning right what you're finding frustrating that's also learning right seeing what's in the way seeing how you hit the same barrier but now you're interested in the barrier. you know there's a barrier you know there's a habit that the mind keeps bumping into that's really good (coughs) to share with people right it normalizes that there are obstacles to practice for the other people in the group, and some people, you know, come in with some notes, and some people, I usually have some time for you to reflect so you have something to say. But basically, the most important thing to say is what's real in your actual practice of using your mind to look at your experience as a human being, right? Using to whatever degree you have some stable present moment awareness, what do you learn? This is a path of insight, seeing what we haven't yet seen about the heart, about the mind. Or you could even say seeing what we haven't seen about suffering and the end of suffering. And the material for this particular course is really directly about that because dependent co-arising is the Buddha's attempt to map out how is it, because his insight was that what's happening here for each of us is is nature, not self. It just looks like it's happening to me, a me, namely, you know, this guy. But actually, even that very personal sense that this is happening to me, my, this experience is happening to me, that's just another aspect of this impersonal nature of causes and conditions. So the patic- paticca samupada or Um, dependent co-arising, the conditionality, cause and effect, nature, natural process. These are words we use to talk about how it is that this feels so personal, being a human being, right? Pain feels so personal. Joy feels so personal, right? Doesn't it? So the Buddha had to, like, to be a good teacher, He had to respond like with a story, right? It's a concept. The Pentecost arising is a, you know, the Buddha's using language. He's telling a story, a conceptual map of how it is that this seems so personal, how this natural process that we actually are, this impersonal natural process, can take the shape, can have the appearance of being a me, has a problem or a me who's experiencing some freedom and that's what the co arising is we're basically replacing the very deep pervasive habit of personalizing everything with a new habit that will support Buddha seeing Dhamma the awakenedness, the clarity seeing being intimate with the way it is So having the pointing out, like getting the map of dependent co-arising helps us to actually be more intimate with the way it is. Because what we bump up against, like when we're being mindful during the day and when we're sitting, is the subtlety and pervasiveness of the habit of personalizing the experience. And so the mindfulness always feels a little off, like it always feels like there's a problem because we can't yet see the wrong view that's operating in the mind because it's so pervasive and so subtle the selfing, the self centered view, the taking, the interpreting that it's personal, right? So, one way we can speed up the process, this is why it's so advantageous to have teachings. As as opposed to just being a, a human being stuck in a, you know, conditioned by culture, conditioned by, I mean, some of you know this, but besides just the conditioning we receive through culture, we have all the conditioning through evolution. You know, for the eons of being a reptile and more primitive animals, like all of that is just built into the genetic code. And that's what shows up right here. And so we, it's not like we can like flip a switch and be free of that. But what can definitely change is how wisdom understands. So then we get these pointing out instructions from the Buddha. So just in simple terms that we'll be digging into over the weeks, it's a natural process. It's not self whatever it is, no matter how personal it feels, that's okay for it to feel personal. The Buddha's not telling us, don't take things personally. He's saying when things feel really personally, yeah, that's how it appears. And that's what we call a natural process. It appears personally, I mean, I'm sorry, it appears to be personal in a lawful, natural way. Just like awakening and freedom is also a natural process suffering is also a natural process and by understanding learning to see everything as a natural process we learn better how to be a human being the problem what gets in the way of being a skillful kind compassionate engaged alive human being fearless human being is that we're misinterpreting we're coming at our life with the wrong idea like there's me and there's an external world out there you know we're coming at it sometimes we call it like with the view of separation or in buddhism generally we call it self-view we come at our life every experience falling falling in love we come at it with self-view eating food we come at it with self-view And even when we know we're suffering and we want to do something skillful about suffering, about stress, about existential anxiety, we come at it with self-view, which is why even our very sincere attempts to resolve suffering end up failing because there's a presumption that's never questioned that's fundamentally off, incorrect. So this is why it's really essential, this piece. We don't have to do a lot of study, but it's really important whatever particular phrase or section or whatever of an article or a talk kind of resonates in your heart, in your mind to some degree, then find a way to own it. First, you just might need to memorize or kind of jot down, make a note for yourself, so then you can think about that particular thing you heard or read that kind of like, oh, that's interesting. And, and sometimes it might be, oh, yeah, that, that seems right. But other times it might be the thing that really seems wrong. Oh, I think the Buddha was wrong. I, I agree with the Buddha a lot, but here he was wrong, right? Then that might be the thing you hold on to and you work with. But let me just check it out. I think he's wrong, but I'm going to check it out with my own experience. So what did he mean by that? First, let me think about it just on a conceptual level. And then once you, kind of you start to own it conceptually, intellectually, you can repeat it back to yourself or bring it to mind in some fashion. Some of you may be in more poetic ways or with an image. Other people w- in more sort of linear ways. But this is what we mean by like using the teachings then to sort of uh, frame and illuminate our experience. Like does that teaching support seeing something in my experience that I haven't yet seen clearly? So I'll just give you an example. Like I'm talking, I mentioned, you know, dependent co-arising very closely related with the Buddhist teaching on conditionality. Which is why we always do this course after the course we did in the fall on karma. Which is just the teaching that intention, intentional actions, intentional thoughts, intentional words we speak, intentional deeds we do, set, leave an impression. Right? When I do something with intention, even think a thought, the fact that I did thought that thought, said that thing, did that thing with intention, means that my heart has the impression, there's been an impression laid down because I did something with intention, intentionally, right? It leaves a trace. And so conditionality is just like cause and effect. So now I'm a different person having said something with intention let's say I had some angry words or some kind words right you can do good things with intention too so I said something that was really kindly with intentionally said something I wanted to be kind I wanted to be helpful I did and said something then in the following moments I'm the the heart the sensitive heart what we generally call me has now that impression of having had that intention so it's a new me because now it's the me that includes that impression and then in the next moment of some intentional action words thought so in that way who we are what we are are these it's really like a churning ocean of intention right motives motivations We'll, we'll work on that as part of our meditation. Like when we're sitting and we're, we've are we gotten our pla- self into a place of being relatively calm. One thing we'll do is we'll practice being aware of this level of sankara. This sort of churning of intention. This sort of precursor to doing. Like before we adjust our posture, there was this intention like, I don't like this feeling, you know, I'm going to adjust. Or we look, we hear, everything is done because of intention. So the Buddha says that as long as the intention is moved, where did that intention come from? Well, the Buddha said, well, it comes from suffering, right? Not being completely, fully free and content and at ease, right? means there's something left over. Somebody once asked a controversial but very famous teacher, Tibetan teacher, one of the earlier Tibetan teachers to come to the West, Trungpa Rinpoche, who started Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. He's passed away a long time ago now. But um, asked him, like, well, what gets reborn? Because, you know, in Buddhist culture, there's uh, generally an understanding of rebirth. And so it's a natural kind of question to ask somebody, well, what gets reborn? And Trumpa Rinpoche had this very useful answer. He said, well, the neurotic qualities get reborn. Or we could say, unfinished, the unfinished movement of intention, the unresolved churning, moving of intention, right? Whatever not completely, fully at ease, that gets reborn in the most subtle ways, gross ways. So can we learn to see something like intention in every other aspect of the body and mind as part of a natural process? So that's actually almost enough you know that just being curious when you see yourself being who you are the personality that you are the defensive person that you are the kind person that you are the closed down person that you are you know because we have lots of different patterns that get activated depending on inner and outer circumstances right so now that we're taking up this theme of dependent co-arising for the next eight weeks we can be very interested about just how we frame that. So when we see Mark being Mark, Kevin being Kevin, Madhuri being Madhuri, you know, all of us being who we are, to just have the, the question like, is this a natural process? Like just bringing that in alone. Now we'll have lots of other teachings, but this is just an example like, see how it shapes the curiosity and the interest. When I have that idea that, first of all, it just allows me to look at the activity of the body and the mind in that moment with some sense of space. Like, oh, is this a natural process? You know, just causes and conditions, lawfully playing themselves, complex for sure, but still, causes and conditions, the net, the network of causes and conditions, conditionality playing itself out this is interesting how this might play itself out and then that's also one of the causes and conditions isn't it knowing th- or at least the beginnings of seeing training the mind to see it as a natural process is also an input in the network of causes and conditions just like taking what's unfolding personally is an input and see this brings up one of the essential points in the buddhist teachings, right? That the biggest intervention or just to put it in our fall fo- in terms of our fall course on karma, the most wholesome karma. Remember karma is intentional action, right? So the, the most wholesome karma, the most wholesome action is the activity of seeing things as they actually are and you could say the most unwholesome intentional action is to continue to see things erroneously as self or to take things personally because all of the hate, all of the injustice, all of the greed, all the ways that human beings shut down, deny, close down, turn away comes out of the self-view so when we're moved by the enormity of suffering in our world and in our hearts right then if we really are motivated then we have to address the essence of the problem which is there are a bunch of us dancing around this planet seeing everything in terms of self, self and other. And as soon as there's that view, there's the sort of leftover. Every moment there's the leftover business because a self will never be content. right? Because it's built on an erroneous foundation of separation. And somebody... Somebody who conceives of themselves as being apart. Right. Existential anxi- anxiety is built into that idea of being a somebody apart. So you see, it's a it's a really a huge and tragic cosmic joke that we're trying to resolve the problem of suffering from a misapprehension of the situation. As opposed to, yeah, they're suffering, but I'm not going to presume I know anything. That's really the Buddhist proposal, right? Yeah, they're suffering. That's good to acknowledge. And then moving forward now, you have to drop all your preconceptions. You have to develop a mind that can see clearly. The mind, the heart has to be stable enough, content, calm enough, so that it's actually worthy of seeing things clearly, not seeing in terms of how we've always seen things. So when you're doing your reflection, your meditation at home, make sure to you know, use as much time as you can to feel safe and calm. Whatever it takes. That when you start thinking, bringing the teachings to mind you, with thought, right you want you don't want to you want to feel settled you want to feel so you can actually look at your experience as a human being from a with somewhat of an objective point of view but if we're really hurting if we're really overwhelmed we have to take care of that first how can I take care of you honey do you want a hot bath do you need a walk Do you need to do a little yoga Should we do some mindfulness of breathing for the first 15 minutes to help settle things down? (laughs) And then once you feel somewhat grounded and settled, whatever the posture that makes most sense for you, then, and like I said, you could then use some of the guided meditations or you can be prepared with that note you took when you were reading some of the readings or you took when you came home from one of the talks that I gave and it might be just once thing you might have heard pages and pages of talking but it was just one line that kind of resonated as sort of like that's interesting that might be useful and then just work with that how does that illuminate what does that refer to in terms of this movement of my heart mind and body right here this activity natural process Like even that, those two words, natural process. And you can just start there. I'll send out in the email tomorrow when I add the people's email addresses that haven't been added yet to our Buddhist studies Google group. Um, I'll send a a phrase that you can work with. It's quite traditional. I think it's in the um, Christina Feldman's article, some of you read. Um, but I'll send it along tomorrow in the email so that you have it, or Wednesday. And you can work with that. And then with that contemplation, you might have some things that you can share in the small group next week, uh, next Monday night. So I think what I'll do with the time remaining, well, first maybe I'll just see if there are any questions about what I've said thus far. Anything come to mind, questions you want to bring up, anything not clear about what I said? Yeah, wait for the mic, though, so given that we're recording. And if you feel comfortable, even though we're recording, feel free to say your name. Hi, my name is Anne. I'm wondering if you can talk more about, um, I think my English major brain is struggling with the phrase code, "code." Dependent arising if you can talk more about what that means dependent co-arising yeah so it's it's similar to the understanding of conditional nature and, uh, and it's not we're not so much talking about a linear cause and effect it's more about the relatedness and one example that is used you know that somebody used this is from an ancient text not from the Buddha but from you know a few centuries I think after the time of the Buddha this teacher said like if you use a red hot iron a rod to start a grass fire right so the rods in the grass fire you m- you might kinda get transfixed on the point that well there was no fire until the rod Went down, so the fire caught. But now, as a raging fire, you see that the fire is making the iron rod hot, and the iron rod, the heat in the iron rod, is making the fire go, right? So there's sort of a mutuality. So, this predicament of this experience that I call me appearing to be the way. That it appears like there's somebody who's suffering or there's somebody who's happy. So whatever our personal experience is, it's a little bit like that. Like in terms of understanding the predicament, we have to see that what holds it together is a sort of a pattern of interrelatedness. At another time, it wasn't the Buddha, but at the time of the Buddha, there was a lay person... His name was Chitta, which is also the word for the mind or heart. And he was talking to some monks, evidently, after their main meal of the day. They eat in the morning, their one meal of the day. And then they often, because they're together when they eat, they often talk about the practice for a while before kind of going to their separate practice places for the rest of the afternoon and evening. And so he was there in this dharma discussion with some of the monks. And he had a lot of wisdom. And uh, they were trying to understand, like, where is this cause of suffering? And he he gave this simile of a yoke, like when you have two um, horses or two cows or ox and and pulling a cart. And they put that wooden yoke between the two animals. And the question this layperson asked the monks, because he was trying to make this point, said, like, would you say that this beast is a fetter is a burden to this other beast or is it this beast that's sort of oppressing this beast and of course the answer is no it's not it's not one of the animals is burdening the other it's the fact that they're tied together so what so the problem isn't that we're sensitive and the problem isn't that There are objects that were, uh, experiences that we're sensitive to. So it's not the world that's the problem. And it's not the fact that I'm sensitive that's the problem. Because that's generally what we do. We either want to numb out because we think it's that I'm sensitive. So if only I just crawl under the covers, close my eyes, pretend I'm not experiencing, I'm not part of the world, or get rid of the problems out there, need to fix messiness of the world which is generally what causes a lot of the suffering right that's what we call hateful oppressive action is when we want to get rid of the problems out there we take advantage of each other psycho like, well, if I could just get rid of you you know or fix you or whatever it is that we see as the problem the problem is the yoke it's the misunderstanding. It's what, how the mind understands the relationship between sensitivity, seeing, hearing, touching, feeling emotion, feeling thought or having thought. Right. So we're whatever this mind heart is, it's sensitive to those six things. right? And so there's a relationship between sensitivity, knowing, you could call it, and what's being known. And that's the problem. So, dependent co arising is really about the interrelatedness between sensitivity and what sensitivity is sensitive to. And that's a conditional arising. So, what we're taking that experience of sensitivity being sensitive to changes everything. Now, we know this, just to kind of ground this in some more practical example. We know this really well, those of us who've been sitting, because we're sitting, and if it doesn't happen to you, just sit longer, because eventually it gets painful, right? Maybe some of you in the first 30 seconds, right? Actually, our general trajectory is it's painful, and then things settle down, and then it isn't so painful, and then it eventually gets painful again. That's kind of a normal trajectory for a sit, right? Because we sit down, and we got all this sort of bound up tension in the body, from the day and that's what we feel when we first sit down but then you know things settle down the body and mind relaxes if we're lucky and we get a little time when we feel relatively chilled out and then it gets painful again now when we're in that last stage where it's painful and it's just gonna get more painful the longer we sit, but we can still work with it so we haven't moved we're just sitting and somewhat skillfully being aware of the pain then we can really see that this is this perfect example of there's sensitivity, there's knowing, and there's painful sensations being known. Right? So that's just common experience as a human being. Sensitive human being, a knowing human being, knowing, it could be painful emotion, but in my example, it's just physical pain, the knee hurts, throbbing, aching, whatever in the knee. And Something that's not, because it's subtle, not so clear is the mind is interpreting the sensitivity and the exposure to the painful sensations in the knee in, with a particular frame, self-view, right? And from th- with that yoke being attached, taking the sensations personally, then there's the birth of a suffering human being. I was kind of pointing to that at the end of the sit, right? Is there a suffering human being? Then acknowledge, oh, there's a suffering human being here. When there's not a suffering human being, then acknowledge that. That could be like one of those little things you write down that, oh, once I get settled, once I have enough calm, I'm just going to get interested. Is there a suffering human being? Then get interested in that. Is there a not suffering human being? Then get interested in that, right? So, The dependent co-arising is how subject to the view, the understanding, it's like this. When the understanding is different, then this isn't there anymore. There's a different this, right? That what any moment this is, is conditioned by the view, right? It arises interdependent with that view. Whatever reality you're having subjectively right now is a dependent co-arising, right? Dependent on everything being there, the sensitivity, the object that the sensitivity is sensitive to, and the way the mind is framing, understanding that exposure, sensitivity, knowing something, right? Who we are in that moment is dependent yoked by all that and we can't really change the sensitivity and we can't control a lot of what we're exposed to right but we can definitely begin to play with how we understand the experience of knowing or the experience of sensitivity and that's really what this course is about really getting interested in how we understand, how we frame the experience of sensitivity, being a sensitive human being. Something is being known. That's what it means to be a human being. Something is being known. And if we can keep it that simple, you might realize how much freedom is really available. But when something gets added to the something being known, then there can be a lot of suffering, which we also know in our experience. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It's okay if that's not clear or doesn't make sense. By the way, <laughs> this is like I said, it is subtle. And be, just be in a minute, uh, Helen. Because one thing I wanted to say tonight, there was a time when uh, Ananda, who was the Buddha's cousin and his attendant, who kind of took care of the Buddha, he was much younger than the Buddha, said to the Buddha that you know how it, how much value he's found with the teachings on dependent co-arising and you know as as sort of subtle as it is I I really feel like I get it and the Buddha said don't say that don't say that (laughs) subtle is this teaching you know profound is this teaching all of this suffering comes you know that we see around us and in us arises because of the not understanding of this Well, ever since you said about us moving, you know, I've been watching, and like every two seconds or three seconds there's another sensation that I don't, you know, that is uncomfortable. But if there isn't anything added, it just changes so quickly, or even it changes or another object is known. But is it the I like and the I don't like that we add? Is that what causes? the sense of self or is there something more well that's for each of us to figure out right and that's really what we're doing is seeing how the like so whenever there's an appearance of mark suffering in our experience as a subject you know subjective experience as a human being whenever it feels like i'm suffering the appropriate response is to get interested in that as a condition as a conditional arising or a dependently that it's dependently co-arising and so what are the supporting causes so when that support isn't there then mark as a suffering being isn't there right because it's not like we can get rid of the sensitivity and it's not like we can get rid of the world that we're sensitive to so what is in play for us and that's going to be right there in the moment because how we're understanding, how the mind is understanding is in play. The yoke is right here in our own heart and mind. And here's the important thing. It's arising in each moment. So even if you feel like you're really locked in, you're really attached, you really don't like the knee pain, right? that attachment, that framing this, painful sensation as mine or you called it the not liking of it right yeah that might feel like locked in steel in that moment but the not liking only lasts like you said for a moment so part of it is realizing that the yoke isn't what it appears to be it always feels like when something feels personal it always feels like because we've done that so many times the groove is quite deep but it has to be uh, uh, renewed moment by moment by moment so all we need is one moment of not doing that and the mind has an insight or when I don't take this knee pain personally when I don't bother to construct the attachment to the idea of not liking it or wanting to be free of it, then all of a sudden it isn't a problem. Then that that throws a whole wrench into the habit of selfing, right? Because the mind has just had a little glimpse of the reality of non-selfing, non-grasping. And that's called insight, right? The mind has seen something it hasn't seen before. What is this experience of being a sensitive human being? in a world full of sense contact what is that without grasping without attachment without liking and disliking so we're doing all this work to start having little glimpses of the reality of non-grasping and then that opens up the possibility to the mind right a taste of freedom oh well maybe being a human being doesn't have to be a heavy a psychically heavy adventure Maybe it can be a really free adventure full of love and engagement and, and responding, doing the next thing in a really free space. Even when things are really difficult. Even when things are really beautiful. Because we have a very strong idea that life's a struggle and then you die or something happens you know whatever one's belief system is but but the question does it have to be heavy just because there actually is pain and suffering on this sort of relative sense in this relative sense does the heart have to be burdened now that's why we have to begin with a lot of humility that's why we have to be we need the humility in order to play with the teachings if we're pretty sure that being a human being sucks we're not going to play with the teachings. We're not going to really bring a fresh, curious mind to these teachings, because we just want to be saved or something. Yeah, do you want to pass it back?
1: My name is Mary. And I think what's hard for me sometimes with this is seeing the suffering that's happening in our world. And so what do we do? It's 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 arising and there's suffering there and how do we use these teachings to help us eliminate some of the suffering that's caused from yeah classism racism yeah sexism all you know all that
0: and there so as you know there's not going to be one way in some moments we're going to directly show up and do the best we can we're going to get engaged and in some moments we're going to have a bigger picture and sense that doing my own inner work is really going to help with that suffering. Both are a movement of compassion, both direct engagement and taking the time to understand the seeds of suffering, the seeds of greed and hate in our own heart. And it's different for different people and it's different in different times in our life. Like if you've got three kids at home, Direct engagement is going to be required. Or if for whatever reason you you feel moved, you have to listen to that. It's like sometimes we have, just by nature of how we were raised, we're going to be moved by different things, and we have to listen to that. And both feed each other. Like seeing the enormity, the almost endless truth of suffering, um, it kind of inspires us to do the inner work. And the inner work really helps us in the messiness of that engagement when we're actually showing up for real suffering.
1: I won't prolong it, but at at some point too, I think part of it, I sit here and think I'm I'm so privileged to be able to sit here and think about these things. I mean, where people are poor and they don't have enough to eat, and so then I feel guilty like, why do I get to sit here and do these things when all this terrible stuff is going on? So I, there's, I'm not asking you to answer that, but the, mm. these, these are just the things that roll around that, you know, that per, you know, sort of get in my way of...
0: No, so. no, it's really important to bring that up. And again, we have to find that answer to ourselves because you can use really good spiritual practices to avoid what needs to be done in the world and we can use engagement in the world to avoid this deeper spiritual healing that we're called to do but it seems too hard so we're going to go deal with racism <laughs> you know i mean ironically people we can use everything unproductively we can on the surface it may look like the person's doing great work whether they're sort of doing the inner work or doing the outer work but we only they can really figure out whether it's a bypass or really kind of doing what needs to be done in that moment. And often, the you know, are we doing what's easy, or are we doing what leads to the most learning? Right. So if we think that uh, avoiding the hard thing. Is the easy way you know that that's that's can be useful because sometimes it's easy just to get swept up in things and keep engaging something but really all we're doing is perpetuating greed hatred and delusion because we don't have enough clarity yet to really be helpful but I don't think it's an easy answer and for sure we shouldn't be judging what other people's choices are we should just take responsibility for our own that dance that each of us have to have between outer engagement and and inner engagement with what we might call our spiritual life. And when we're doing the outer engagement, it needs to be framed in terms of understanding our heart. And when we're doing the inner engagement, we need to see it as a radical way of addressing the suffering in the world. So whatever you're doing in any moment, Really see it in the context of the other. I think that's the important thing. Yeah. So a few things before we end. Um, if you didn't, if you haven't been in the Buddhist Studies classes before, and you didn't register online for this class, then your email is not going to be in the Google group, and that's okay. You just need to print neatly your email here, and we'll get you in the Google group so that you get the readings and other things. But you can always go to the website. Kevin uh, helps us get all, a lot of the stuff up on our website. So he'll be, if he hasn't already in the next few days, he'll be updating the, the Pentacle Rising web page. And the way you get to it is go to our website, look under Resources. When you click that main menu item, You'll see Buddhist studies there as one of the items under resources. And the front page of that, the first page of that, will be readings. And then once the recorded talks and guided meditations are up on the Internet, there will be there too, and you can just go to that place. But uh, if you want to get in the, the Google group, make sure your email is here. But if you did register or if you've been part of this before, we already have your email, so you don't need to put it there, and that will save us work. Santi Carl's is coming this weekend, a wonderful teacher. One of the texts that I'm highly recommending for those of you who want to dig deeper is this book on Dependent Co-Arising. Santi Karl, who's going to be teaching here this weekend, he translated and edited this book by a very well-known Thai Buddhist monk, uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa, one of the more influential monks of the 1900s in Thailand. And so that's uh, one resource that I sent out in the initial email. I'll resend that, like I said, in a day or two. So he'll give a talk on Friday night, workshop on Saturday, community conversation on compassion on Sunday. All that's in the online calendar. You can find out about it. Um, I think we're set for a program host. Who's going to be hosting next week? Do we have someone who's going to be doing it next Monday, our program host. Okay, great. And then the last thing I just want to bring up as we end our time together is um, a couple people in our community, people who are regulars in our Buddhist studies have lost somebody recently and it's just nice to kind of offer our good wishes for those people. So Rebecca, her husband, who she's been caretaking now for a long time, Steve, right, is that his name? Yeah, passed away about a week ago. 10 days ago. And then Kevin Sullivan, a lot of you know, he often sits over there, gray hair. He just was out in Vermont. His mother just died a few days ago and had a very close relationship with her and fortunately was be able to be with her in those last days. So we could just bring Steve, Rebecca's partner, to mind and Kevin Sullivan's mother and all of our fellow human beings who are letting go of this life have let go of their life and whatever that is that mystery of passing on we can wish them may the deepest wisdom and love protect and guide you for whatever's next and we can happily share whatever goodness there is in our lives all the ordinary moments of generosity and patience and even being in the class and doing our practice whatever blessings there are in our lives whatever goodness there is in our lives may all of this goodness support suffering beings be a cause for happiness and peace and freedom from suffering for all beings without exception may this be so. And thanks, everyone. Look forward to seeing you next week. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.